Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau. And I'm with Marbina Robinson, who's the founder and CEO of B. Stuyvesant Champagne. And I cannot be happier to be catching up with you, Marbina, because you are one incredible woman and one really, really busy woman these days. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Now, this is going to be fantastic. Um, So let's dive right in. Are you just a natural trailblazer? Wow, that's such a, a bold, interesting question. I would say I'm just a person, I don't like to give myself titles, so I'm a person that likes to get things done. When I have a vision, I follow through with it. So whatever category I fall under there, I'll put myself there. I'm like a dog with a bone. I don't stop until I get what I want. <laughs> that's great. Light right, right. Well, I mean, I asked that question because you're, first main career was in finance on Wall Street, and you were there for two decades. You worked for Morgan Stanley, Citco, J.P. Morgan. I mean, I would imagine uh, when you started that there weren't a lot of women working in that arena. Yes, that Wall Street area is also another industry that is not highly represented by women. So it's I'm no stranger to being the minor on the floor or in a room. Um, so I would say like, I've, I've adjusted, you know, I look at my, started from education, like I went to Norfolk State at uh, traditional HBCU. And then for graduate, I went to Columbia University, again, um, being, you know, the minor person in a room. So I would say I've adapted, you know, I don't let it bother me too much, but I know where I'm at. I know who I'm amongst. You really are paving the way for others. You know, I've never really looked at it in that manner. I I look, and which I'm happy I am. I just look at it as you a person should never not go for what what they want because they're not a norm in the industry, depending on what they look like or where they come from. What was it about finance that really got you excited and and made you pursue that career? I'm going to give you the professional answer, and then I'm going to give you the real answer. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> So when I was in undergrad, I knew nothing about finance. I actually was a biology major, and I wanted to go to medical school. That's where my heart was at, all undergrad. I I graduated, came home. I wanted to um, go to Cancun with my friends, and my mother was like, there's no money for that. You got to finance that trip on your own. So I went and got a quick job. I was always good on computers. I graduated from high school early, but my mother wouldn't let me leave. So I took typing for like a whole year. Every So I could type like 55 words, 60 words a minute. And I was good on computers, programming. Like I knew QuadraPro, which preceded Excel, and I was really good at it. So I actually got a temp job at Morgan Stanley, my first career job at Morgan Stanley on their sales desk. I remember on the treasury sales desk, and I was introduced to the finance world. And I was like, wow, this stuff is so cool. And I just couldn't, I was really quick and fast, and I knew what I was doing like on, on, on the sales sheets. But I wasn't a salesperson. I was like, oh, I could do this job. And I was just fascinated by the industry, and I would sit, we locate on the trading floor, and I would just look and see what, what was going on. And I realized, like, this is an industry that I like. 
and then I was researching. I became the financial products training coordinator of Morgan Stanley. And then I literally took every class there was so I could learn more about the business. And it was on um, Morgan Stanley's dime. And I was just blown away by these financial products. And I kind of stuck with derivatives. And that's really how I got started. And I researched a lot of the key players on the floor. You know, most of these large firms have biographies of each of the major leaders in D's. And while I was on that trading floor, even when I moved over to my permanent position, I decided this is where I wanted to be. I looked up the major people and see where they went to school at. And I realized for me to excel in this industry on the business side, I needed to go back to school and get a master's, you know, my MBA. I chose a master's in, in the quantitative topic so that I can be considered, you know, unique. And I wanted to do more modeling. And that's really how I got started. That's the professional answer. The other answer was I knew I could make a lot of money in the industry. <laughs> but that's always good too, right? Mm-hmm. You didn't start in in mid-America and then make your way to Wall Street. You like hit the ground running. You started on Wall Street. And I think that's fantastic and inspirational and aspirational for a lot of women. Thank you. I, you know, it's so funny when people say that uh, it's been interesting to me in the past. Um, I just don't look at it like that. I just feel like regardless of gender or anything, just believe in yourself. And if it's something you want to do, find a way to make it happen. Find a way to make it happen. So I read somewhere that you had a sip of bubbles in college, and that's what led to your love of sparkling wine and champagne. Is that true? Yeah. So I was legal age. Let's point that out. So right. I actually, I have two close friends we grew up together from early years and we split up we all from Brooklyn all from Bedford-Stuyvesant two of us went to the same high school one of us didn't when it was time to go to college two of my friends went to the same college I'm the only one that chose to go to a different college so when we would come home for weekends or visits it was our time to catch up think about it these are friends we were in, in school with each other for since we were in fourth fifth grade probably even younger first second grade oh my goodness so we were never separate. So we would come home, catch up, and we would get a bottle of champagne. We would split this bottle. We would chip in for the bottle. We had plastic cups. And we would sit on the stoop, whether it was summer, spring, winter, or fall, even in the rain, and just, like, catch up because that was our thing to do. And it was our way, and we wanted to feel special and, we would, you know, celebrate. So champagne was the thing to go. We mimicked what was in videos at the time. So uh, that's what we used to get. We used to get a bottle of Moet Chandon. White Star. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah, right. We, we had big eyes on small budgets. <laughs> <laughs> but if you put your money together, you could get that White Star. So that yes, was good. When we split it up, yeah. Getting back to your trailblazing attitude, at age 45, you have an idea that you want to make champagne. Ditch the uh, financial industry and pursue something brand new well that wasn't the original plan it just panned out that way so champagne was a hobby of mine i i became fascinated with champagne and i'm always very curious so i always want to know the backstory of it so i would want to know why am i spending 40 to 50 potentially 60 dollars for a bottle remember it was a couple of years ago so everything that's going up versus where i can go get another bottle of bubbles like maybe a cava or a Prosecco, right. mm-hmm. which will cost me no more than $15, $20 max. I can get two bottles for one bottle of champagne. So I just didn't understand it. 
and then I started reading about it, and then I noticed some taste difference. I'm like, oh, it does, you know, it has a different taste. And I just said, you know what? I want to know more about the champagne. And I would go to odd wine shops, avoiding the big brands, big names, because mm-hmm. you can get that anywhere. And I would look for rare champagne because I wanted to know more about the vineyard. I wanted to know about the bubbles. I wanted to know how is it paired, what is it made with. And I pretend you know, buying different champagnes when I was younger, you know, in New York before I officially made the jump. And I would really compare the tasting profiles to see what I liked, what I didn't like. And I would keep the bottles so that I said, when I go to go to France one day, I'm going to go to these vineyards. And I, would, I wrote them all down. And I began to visit. You know, I used to gift people, some of my clients, some of my coworkers or friends, these bottles of champagne that I would buy. And I would write the backstory of it. And I would tell them how to pair it. So that it was more of a conversation piece. Like, I'm just not giving you a regular champagne. I'm giving you something with some value on it so that you can appreciate it. And as I started to travel back and forth, I just became so engrossed. I was like, wow. And to really understand champagne or anything, you have to immerse yourself in the culture. And that's how I started. I started going back and forth. I think I read somewhere you were doing that on the weekends. I would leave work on Friday evening. I would block my schedule so that nobody can make any late meetings on Friday because that was the worst thing for me. I would leave my suitcase and luggage on the floor below me so when I walked off the floor, nobody saw me with my coat or luggage. And then I would catch the express bus from 42nd Street to get me to JFK to catch my evening flight at 640 to put me in France in the morning in which I would just go shower and then head over to the Champagne region and then coming back. I was a member of Equinox and I did not work out I just kept it my membership so that when I came back in on Monday morning, I could take a shower and go straight to work. So that was my, my schedule was. <laughs> so no workout, but a great place to get showered and ready for the day, right? The workout was probably running from the bus stations and trying to make sure I got to work on time. Sure. Running through the airport, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Cause exactly. You had a short time span. When did you have that epiphany that you wanted to start making your own champagne. I was working on this project very quietly. Probably, I launched in 2020. I was working on this project probably for like four years, slowly. It was just something I was like, oh, I don't have to do much with it. It's just something I want to have. Um, because I, I knew I wanted to open up a champagne bar and I knew I wanted to have a house brand and that was going to be Peace Diverset. At the time, I didn't have a name. So, I became more enthused with it over the years. And I'm like, okay, as I got closer and closer, I'm like, you know what, it's ready. And then I was like, okay, I'm not going to leave my job full-time yet. I'll just open up this little bar part-time. I'll figure it out. And I decided, you know what, my love for finance has diminished and my love for champagne has been 200%. And I saw changes in myself, like going to work, I was disgruntled, I wasn't enthusiastic, I wasn't motivated, which was not me in my earlier years. So I say my last two years in the industry, I probably became a different person only because I was not happy doing with what I do. And from there, I slowly began to make the changes to become my own entrepreneur, again, not knowing what I was going to do, and just say, hey, this is what I want to do and do it full time. You took the leap of faith and you debuted your first bottle or or wine shop in 2020, of course, the year that keeps giving, right? 
the year that keeps giving was it was good and bad for me. Naturally, the bad portion, COVID, to good years. I launched February 2020, and it was great. We launched into one wine shop, and that one shop we launched into Happy Cork. Um, we just expanded out over there. People began to request the business, request the, the packaging, the bottles, and then from there, I had some hiccups along the way with licensing. So what I did is I decided to do direct to consumer until I figured it out. Well, that's all right, because that's where all the profit is, so. Exactly, and it worked for two years, right? And then things began to normalize out. So we're in year three, of ending year three in business. And I would say, and just to be crystal clear, this probably was my toughest year. Really? Yeah, I was reading this quote, you can't have success without failures. Mm. And it resonated with me because this is my toughest year where, you know, DTC sales have changed because things have opened up. So that allowed me to change and find new business strategies and to continue to grow the Stuyvesant in which I had to take a step back and kind of restructure the business on the backhand side, realigning myself with distributors that's going to help move the brand forward to put these in retail shops because consumers want quick access. And that's what I want to be able to provide. Not everybody wants to do shipping all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So... I realized that, and that's where I'm currently working at and changing um, how we kind of do things long. Still having DTC, but more expanding to retailers throughout the United States so that everybody can get quick access to B-Stuyvesant. Okay. Well, let's talk about B-Stuyvesant a little bit more. What's your case production? I would say Rosé Reserve and Blanc de Blancs are our strongest, and Demisec are our strongest in our portfolio. So we produce minimally 7,500 bottles of each. We still have more space to scale, but we haven't maxed out on production, which is a good thing. In addition, we have our Rosé Prestige. We have our Premier Crew. Um, and then we also have our new Cuvée coming out in March where we're doing production um, of 5,000 bottles a year with still room to scale. We do fresh disgorgements where I don't just disgorge one time a year. We do it quarterly, so all our bottles are fresh and um, importing. I'm very conscious of storage space because I have to pay for warehousing space, so I never want anything just sitting there. Right. It's not cheap where you live. (laughs) Exactly. Everything costs, and as a small business owner, you want to be conscious of how money is spent. Right, exactly. And you want to move product. You don't want to be sitting on product either. So, yes. Well, that's exciting about what's ahead for March of next year, this new wine. Yeah, we have a lot of big things coming out in 2024. We will be releasing our first champagne vending machine. It will be our prototype. We want to begin to market those to hospitality industries. Um, I do have a cookbook coming out where all of the recipes are infused with champagne. That's also going to be released in late March, April. And we will be participating in Boston's Food and Wine um, Festival this year. Oh, that's fantastic. I also read that you're working on a line of glassware and perhaps some chocolates that are infused with your wine. Is that still on the horizon? That's actually already in production. Oh. So our glassware is under Anne of Ram Dining Collection, where we currently, I produce glassware, um, currently it's champagne flutes, but we're expanding out. Next week, we will be introducing our new whiskey glasses. That's something that's always going to be ongoing. We're going to be a full glassware collection from all types of glasses, whether champagne, white wine, um, martini glasses, only because I think glassware is very important to your cocktail of choice. And you want to make sure you have the proper glassware. If your glassware is too thick, 
it actually takes away from the tasting of your beverage. I agree. So I want to produce high quality, but but price moderately for glassware for consumers. And, you know, some of us have decorating ideas, and that's what we also have, well, something really nice to the eye for both male and female. So if somebody wants to taste a bottle of B Stuyvesant, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I would say it depends where they're located at. If they're located in New York, I would say come on into our tasting room. We have a tasting room located at the Brooklyn Navy Yard. If not, then um, we do ship. We can ship to 48 states. And then on our website, on our FAQ page, we do have the stores that we actually are currently sold in. Fantastic. Okay, great. Throughout your career, is there someone that stands out that has really helped mentor you through your career, whether it's the financial side of things or the uh, champagne side of things that you can speak to? I've never had an official mentor. I've always had good people surrounding me that were key in assisting me when I had questions, or they were great people to look up to, mimic their actions to get to where I wanted to be at. Top moment of your career so far? Launching Beast Stuyvesant, I would say, um, that day one. Though we've been featured in a plethora of media outlets, I don't think nothing will take away from the day on February 12, 2020, of launching and opening the first bottle for tasting and consumers overpacking the store where you couldn't even come in. It was packed out and people were just buying the champagne and toasting and then see we were featured in Daily News the next day and seeing that picture that day is still like probably the highlight of my career. That's fantastic. What's been the most unexpected challenge that you've had creating your uh, champagne brand? I would say importing. So when I first launched, I did all of my, I own the importing side of the business as well. I would say figuring out how to import into the United States and getting all the paperwork, all your licenses. That's like one of the hardest things. And then also understanding, and I don't want to say I've mastered it, but understanding distribution. Hmm. You have, distribution is the key of getting your product, any alcohol or wine, beverage, beer, into retail stores. You have to go through a distributor. Right. And if you don't have the right distributor, you can be in a very difficult situation in which I was previously in. So I know what it's like to be with a bad distributor. Or just be lost in their portfolio, right? Yeah, or just be lost. So I would say that know your distributors and, and understand what can be done. on It's a two-way street. Right. So I would say that I was, it was a bad situation for me. It was the, the hardest for me, but it was also the most teaching for me. So I always look at everything that has the, a good side and a bad side. Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. Well, let's shift on to your personal life. You live in Brooklyn. <laughs> you live in Brooklyn. You make yeah, champagne. I'm a Brooklyn girl. I'm a Brooklyn girl, yes. Any plans to move to a wine region, or will you stay in Brooklyn forever and ever? I will not stay in Brooklyn forever and ever. I do want to move. I haven't decided where I want to move to, but I know my story doesn't end in Brooklyn. I do stay close because my office is there, which I can work from anywhere. My, my team is really good at handling day-to-day activities. But, you know, I'm a mama's girl. My mom is still in Brooklyn, so I stay close for that. Um, I'm fortunate where I get to travel, so I get, you know, breaks from Brooklyn. Well, I don't know where, where I'm going to end up at, you know, but I'm open to trying. I'm Consider me Dora the Explorer. I'm open to living in other places. Okay. That still has some city aspect. I can't move to, like, 
ultra farmish area. I need some some type of uh, cityish vibe. Uh, city nearby, right? Mm-hmm. You live in Brooklyn. Let's let's talk about your home there. Um, if we mm-hmm. took a step inside, what would we see? What's your decorating style? Ah, uh, oh my goodness! I just actually redecorated a little bit. Well, you're gonna enter enter through my kitchen, so you will see a nice wine refrigerator that holds 156 bottles. Um, I am a minimalist. I like clean cut. I don't like a lot of over accessories. I like muted colors. I like beiges. I like whites. I like pale pasco colors. I just painted my kitchen like a pale mint green, very paleish. It doesn't look therapeutic or um, mental, as I would like to say. <laughs> Um, but I feel like and I, I love flowers, so you will always see flowers in my house. It is um, an instant pick-me-up. A reason why I put flowers in my house is because if I'm in a bad mood, if I walk into another room, I see those flowers, it brightens my mood. So I like florals and I like candles that has good, good smells to them so that all of that makes me feel better. That's good. They are, I agree, flowers are a mood booster for sure. When you have a chance to kick back and relax, what kind of music do you like to listen to? Oh, so I have a record player, so I like vinyls. I love um, it. So if it's vinyls, I have like a lot of old school classes like Diana Ross, Michael Jackson, Prince. I have Beyonce, and I have some hip-hop songs. So I have a little bit of everything in vinyls. But if I go into my office or even at home, one of the things I like to listen to is hip hop instrumentals. I just love to hear the beats of everything. And then I will also say I listen to a lot of gospel music. I start my day with gospel because it gives me my inspiration. But then the music can get, the music evolves over the day. Music's kind of like flowers. It's a mood booster too, isn't it? Yes, it is. Is there something you can tell us that people might be surprised to learn about you that's not readily known? Did you do something wild and crazy as a kid? Or do you skydive, rappel down mountains? Tell me a secret. I have two steel pins in each hip. Oh, no. When I was younger, I had, uh, my bones were just growing out of place, so I have two steel pins in my hip. And I am adventurous, so I have gone skydiving. I do not know how to swim, but I'm currently taking swimming lessons because one of my goals in 2024 is to finally jump off somebody's yacht and be in somebody's crystal blue water in Italy. Oh, there you go. And I love to barbecue. I'm a big backyard person, so I love a good barbecue. I don't do any gas grills. I need a charcoal grill with real charcoal because I love to open up my grill and get it going. Is there a meaningful or memorable trip you could tell us about? I think my most meaningful trip actually was to Morocco. As you know, Morocco is like a Muslim country. Women are not as prominent or doesn't have a voice. And for me, I'm a very independent and outspoken woman. So going there and seeing how women are in that country kind of raised questions for me. But I just enjoyed myself where going to the different markets, going to some of the temples, doing the hammams, understanding their culture. It was a difficult trip but it was a very meaningful trip for me. And it's a place that I would revisit. Oh, great. Well, that's good. It didn't turn you off. The holidays are approaching. Do you have a holiday tradition you could share with us? When I was younger, I used to always be big into the holidays because I'm in, in the wine industry now. I'm usually drained by the holiday season. So I would say on New Year's Eve, I just want to be in the bed with a nice bottle of <laughs> champagne, 
I am probably in the bed by 8 o'clock, watching TV, talking to my friends, and at midnight, my girlfriend, Ladea, we always FaceTime each other with our glow-in-the-dark hats or glasses, like cheers in one another. I would call my mom, but she's already asleep. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, those close and dear to me, I make sure I reach out, and we just have, that's it. I do like to have a nice brunch on New Year's Day, but again, it depends on, like, for me in New York, the weather and how I feel, but... New Year's Eve, I used to always want to be somewhere or at friend's house. I am happy to be in my house, in the bed, or even if it's a hotel with a nice bottle and then just like snuggled up underneath the covers and be like, here we go, 2024, make it better than 2023. Right. Whatever year it starts, I say, yeah, make it better than the previous year. You are in Brooklyn. Other than be Stuyvesant, Champagne, what are some of your favorite places? to recommend people to visit. I love Colony. Colony is a farm-to-table restaurant. It is on Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn Heights. I love to sit at the table. I love everything on that menu. I don't eat beef or pork, so everything non-beef, non-pork, I will eat on that menu. Right now, I am crushing on the duck breast and frites. Um, They have a good Brussels sprouts, charcoal Brussels sprouts. They have these little tartines that have like some some of them have like a like a mushroom pate they have some with anchovies some with like uh something with truffles that's a good one of my favorite restaurants i do love brooklyn tea brooklyn tea is a tea house they have like over 50 teas i'm a big tea girl so they have two locations one on notion avenue and then they have one on lewis avenue i like brooklyn tea on lewis avenue and decatur because i live not too far so with walking distance for me and last but not least, I do love Peaches. Peaches is on also on Lewis Avenue, the same block. The brunch is amazing. The dinner is amazing. It's like a staple in the neighborhood. I used to live out of there. I had to take a break. And I didn't go there for like two, three years because I just needed a break from it. And I went there recently, and I was like, I wonder why I stopped coming because this food is so good. So I would recommend those are my key places I like to go to. There is this pizza. Oh, also, El Porto. I, since I'm in the Brooklyn Navy, I don't work too far from El Porto. It's a true Italian restaurant, and they have the most amazing brick oven pizza and grandma pizza and the best pasta um, locally. Did you say grandma pizza? Yeah. You ever what, heard of it? No. What is that? The grandma pizza is like square pizza. It's very thin crust. It has only fresh plum tomatoes, fresh basil, and mozzarella cheese. Oh, fantastic. It is delicious. Well, you taught me something new. I love it. And you told me about some great places in Brooklyn to visit as well. And most importantly, you have to come by the tasting room. That's also a good place to visit in the tasting room. Absolutely. Well, that was a given. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Marvina, we're going to wrap things up with five quick questions. Are you ready? Okay, I'm ready. What is your favorite flower? Black calla lilies. Okay. What's the city that you could go back and visit again and again and again and you'd never be tired of? I don't know if it's a, if it's a city or not. I would say Washington, D.C. What's your all-time favorite champagne pairing? Oh, my God. Fried chicken and champagne. Okay. Top notch. Who would be your dream dinner guest? My dream dinner guest? Living or dead that you would love to dine with. But with the person I am today, it would be two people at the same table. Oh, of course it would be. <laughs> Who? Who would it be? It would be my grandmother. Aw. 
and it will be Jay-Z. And last question, what's your favorite holiday? My birthday. There you go. (laughs) Marbina, you have been fantastic, and it's been really wonderful to spend some time with you today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Visit WineCountryWomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.